0: Blake Hey Kayla how are you you know i'm doing all right i'm doing all right we're still in our in our friday recording so we're, it's almost the weekend again and it's I'm almost the end of the season Yeah, we're getting the second to last episode
1: yes welcome back to our listeners welcome back thank you for sticking it out with us this season 4 um this is under the arch we still are a podcast where we explore the issues facing our communities and the people fighting to transform them. I am your co-host, Kayla Reed, Executive Director of Action St. Louis.
0: And I am your other co-host, Blake Strode, Executive Director of Arch City Defenders. And today we have, um, we have another family conversation, our, our movement family Beautiful movement family in St. Louis that is holding so much and continues to grow. And today we're going to be talking about housing, um, which is always is central and core to our work um, and is really a hot topic in St. Louis. I mean, it usually is, but, you know, there's there's work and, and progress on some fronts happening in St. Louis. So we really wanted to dig into housing justice again. We've touched on it once before, I think. Um, yeah, we've had
1: an about it before, and you know we've declared that 2023 is the year of the tenant in St. Louis, and so we're really excited about this episode and this conversation because it is timely. Some things are happening in the city on the policy front; more things to come, and uh, and we have a great guest to help us sort of navigate that landscape and talk about what's what's going on. You want to yes. you want to introduce our guest?
0: Sure, it would be my pleasure. Our guest today is our friend, our comrade, our partner, Christian Blackman, who Ooh. you know the people know. All the people know Christian Blackman. Welcome to the show, Christian. Thank you for having me. Yeah, You're coming Black, so to you came in I know. <laughs> <laughs> came in with the smooth, <laughs> oh, smooth, that's right. Alto's I love ten on one that's voice. Yeah. Christian is bringing NPR energy up in here. Yes. Thank you for having me. Let me let me give a little bit of Christian's bio. Christian Blackman is a native of St. Louis, Missouri. Her passion lies in the fight for Black liberation, injustice, and oppression that negatively impacts all people. She is a community organizer, art curator, art activist, facilitator, and trainer. Uh, and she's currently the coalition coordinator for Homes for All St. Louis, a Black-led housing justice and advocacy organization. Christian has a bunch of awards and acknowledgements, including the 2016 Unsung Human Rights Shiro Award from the St. Louis Coalition of Human Rights, uh, We Raised 2016 Emerging Leader, recipient of the Professional Growth Award from St. Louis Black Pride, 2019 Deluxe Magazine Power 100 awardee, and 2022 Arts Impact Award from Workfest. So um, Christian, you know, in these streets, the People know Christian Blackman, uh, and we're so glad to have you on the show today, Christian.
2: Thank you, thank you, thank you. No, for real,
0: thanks for having me for real. Like, thanks okay,
1: because I'm like, me, you um, gonna keep this voice up all episodes.
2: <laughs> I, I feel like it's my you know, I'm trying to have my, pod, my podcast voice. Podcast I love it, I love voice. it. My no, podcast, it's just it's my just, regular voice. <laughs> no, it's just my voice. I I can't help that it's carrying over so smoothly.
0: It's just so. Smooth. Yeah, that's right. It just okay. comes natural. It's
1: so natural. It's just, you know, <laughs> funniest, like, fun fact about Christian and I we would often show up to events with the exact same shirt on. We did it like 20 times. <laughs> In the year, it was like, ah, yeah, oh. we were like the Spider-Man meme, like, oh, you got put on your mind too, I see. Like, Look at that. So we have all these pictures, which I love, of like us wearing the exact same outfit. And I was like, this is so great. One, because we have such a plethora, what I love about you, Christian, is that you you live and breathe at this intersection of art and movement work, and that art is movement work for you, and movement work is art, and I just really appreciate um appreciate that because as a non-artist it's really important to me to create space for art inside of action and our organizations and our work and I think you do that so so beautifully how you dance those things together and amplify voices that are often um you know just not in the conversation in your art and in your in your organizing so thank you for joining us today Mm -hmm.
2: awesome thank you for that because art has also been a way to like bring me joy and like mm-hmm. and all you know like it has literally saved my life on a couple of occasions so mm-hmm. yeah
0: yeah that's amazing. thank you so i mean that's a, that's a perfect place to start cuz we we just want to hear a little bit more about you to open we love to really dig mm-hmm. into our our guest's personal journey and and what brought them to where they are today so can you kind of give us give us the the christian blackman you know true hollywood story what's where does christian come from what got you here today
2: yeah um it's funny i was just sharing this uh the other day um starting with like oh you know i started doing this work at this time but i had to go back a little bit and think about um i'm, I'm my mother's only child uh, she wanted one daughter and she got that <laughs> um <laughs> And she teases me about, you know, all the stuff I do. I'm radical militant, just just jokingly. But I tell her she's actually the first person that got me exposed to any type of movement, anything. Uh, my mother is a, a retired St. Louis public schools teacher. Um, she was in the union. Um, she was the, the, the building steward at every school she taught at. Um, she took me to uh, the, the picket that I first went to was a, I was like seven. She took me to the to a picket line at St. Louis Public Schools teaching when they went on strike um, for higher wages, uh, for prep time. Um, and at the time, I believe they didn't have like, I believe like Thanksgiving Eve off or something like that. It's mm-hmm. crazy. So she was actually the one that exposed me to that. She used to take me to union meetings and I just used to be wild at like how chaotic it was, but it was at the, being younger, it was entertainment. But looking back, um, you know, it was it was some for real, you know, exchanges and debates around, like, how teachers should be being treated better. So she's the one that first, like, introduced me around, like, using your voice um, and advocating for yourself. So fast forward a little bit. Also, her being a teacher meant she also was exposing me to a lot of educational things. <laughs> so um, whether it was on trips, during summer, books taking me places, museums, learning history, specifically Black history. Um, I had a early fascination with just movements, a very high fascination to like the Black power movement specifically. I don't know why I just did being young. Fast forward a little bit. Um, I first like really started actively doing stuff probably around 2007 or 8, something like that. Um, Just starting to tap into like some just political work, petition gathering, petition blocking stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, But it probably wasn't until like Occupy Wall Street and then the Fight for 15 movement where I got a lot more like introduced to like speaking up and speaking out against stuff. So like the economic piece was something that I was always drawn to because I always believed that like people should not work and be poor. Nobody should be poor, right? But like specifically with like folks working, this whole working class thing, economic conversation. Um, That's when I first started getting my analysis around like capitalism, consumerism, and all all that stuff um, during that time. When I joined uh, St. John's is when the intersection of faith came in, where like a lot of people, you grew up in church and then you leave. I was one person that had grew up in church, wasn't in church any longer, happened to end up going to visit, visit St. John's, um, at the time, that's when Starcy was there, of course, mm-hmm. and I was at that time also doing some work around payday lending. Um, so if many people are probably familiar with um, the payday loan campaign to like cap the interest rate on payday on payday li- loans in Lending here, and they did a march to the payday loan place on Palm Sunday, and I was just like, wow, like I've never seen a church be this active um, in community in this way, and so. I became much more um, invested with the work and the faith intersection at that particular point. Um, And then to shorten this, fast forward a little bit more, like so many of us, that's when, you know, Mike Brown was murdered. Um, I'm from Ferguson. I grew up in Ferguson. So it had a, a a definitely a a more like surreal feeling to me. Um, And so from that point, like a lot of us, right? Um, it just totally activated me even more, um, radicalized me even more. Um, and that was the, you know, shift for like a lot of us a shift into like what it really meant to be active in community, to fight back against systems, you know, to liberate black folks. Um, so yeah, and I'm still here. Still yes. <laughs> here. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you are feeling it.
0: Yeah with all the highs and lows. Yeah, so. right. There are plenty of, of both of those. But I mean, it's fascinating to hear you talk about that that you know, occupy Wall Street moment as as an on-ramp because I think today, you know, I don't it would overstate it greatly to say that that feels lost to history, but it does feel like it's been pushed back into the recesses of our collective movement memories. We talk a lot about sort of recent Black-led movement, I think, for good reason, whether it's Ferguson or 2020 uprisings. But I do think for a lot of people, Mm -hmm. those sort of economic justice organizing, radical organizing, in the Occupy Wall Street moment or movement was for, I think of folks, you know, we're not the same age exactly, but I think of our like, you know, mid-millennial, mid-elder millennial generation is like, that actually was the the first sort of radical movement we saw in real life in real time uh, so it's really fascinating to hear you lift that up it's also
1: it's also one of those I really think how much faith and art and and this movement work ties in and how much uh, St. John's was a catalyst mm-hmm. inside of our local movement here in St. Louis and this is St. John's mm-hmm. UCC on. North Grand. Um, and at the time, Pastor uh, Starsky Wilson, when you joined, he was also the pastor when I joined. And now it's um, Pastor Michelle Higgins. And that's the same church where action, this this iteration of action, St. Louis started, right? We just had our seventh birthday, remember. Right? first meeting, right? You were there. It was hundreds of people popped up at this meeting that we called on July 13th, 2016. And just how often you know I, I often say that like history is so layered that there are just these different things that are happening in these different players who are inside of our movement who are actually really an on ramp for institution building and politicization of our folks and St John's has certainly been a constant you mm-hmm. know for for our movement and so I really just appreciate that part of that part of your story and your mom shout out to moms yes shout out to the teachers. Yeah. And the unions, because right now, you know, if it if it if it was not for the union workers and the teachers, yeah. where would we be? You know, so shout no, out. No, seriously,
2: out. like why why I'm a, a union woman still, even though I'm not currently in a union, is because of my mother. Like mm-hmm. honestly, because of my mother and seeing that the work that now a, a quick little call out call in, you know, mm-hmm. I. the the union the the teachers unions don't seem to be banging how they was banging you Mm -hmm. know when my mama was on that was like the 80s you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. um so but um but yeah seeing that in real time was definitely Mm -hmm. something that that put a lasting impression on me Mm -hmm. um around you know having you know And there's many critiques around unions, right, you know, um, and labor and things like that. But it definitely was an opportunity for me to see what does it mean when, like, multiple voices come together, when you're literally coming as a team, you know, like, we have taken this position. Like, I remember her, them doing, like, blue flu days and her hopping on the phone and doing the phone chain around, like, we're not going into work today and this is why, right? Mm -hmm. Like, me seeing that and not totally getting it, but getting it enough and then her explaining it to me. Um, So that was, you know, to now where we talk about how we organize our people and bring community together, you know, for these mass movements and the importance of that. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. You're really making me think about a a couple of things. I'm going to try to connect the dots. One is just the the importance of anchor institutions, which is something that you know I believe strongly in, I think all of us believe strongly in, and you're you're just ticking off what some of those have been in your own life. And I think it have been in St. Louis generally, whether it's you know, public education, and public schools as an institution, unions generally, teachers union, five for 15, that that has been an on-ramp to, to many things, on-ramp to politicization, on-ramp to, to economic stability, for so many people, faith institutions, including, you know, more more radical oriented faith institutions like St. John's. And just to note for listeners, we've done episodes with Starsky Wilson. We've done an episode with Michelle Higgins, like go back and check those out and like learn about that tradition. Um, and of course, when, when I first met you, you were working at Jobs with Justice, um, which has also been one of those institutions holding down that kind of like labor organizing work. Um, and, and to try to connect the dot to the, the subject we teed up. I think now you're at you're at Homes for All. Um and I think part of the work of, of your organization and of our respective organizations has been trying to create similar sort of institutional infrastructure around tenant organizing and tenant advocacy. Mm-hmm. Um and and there's so much happening in that space right now. Would love to hear you talk about kind of the um, for folks who aren't familiar with Homes for All, you know what what is it? How's it organized? Um, and and as an organization, sort of how do you how do you work?
2: Yeah, um, thank you for that. Um, and yeah, really quick, Jobs with Justice is definitely a place where I learned a lot around those inter- how to bring those intersections mm-hmm. um, for this broader movement, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and Homes for All, so Homes for All. Um, started in 2018, um, mainly doing organizing in in South St. Louis. It was, you know, renters that were having slumlord issues that Mm -hmm. essentially just came together and started organizing um, for themselves um, and then connecting with their neighbors um, to start organizing. And so that's essentially how it formed. Um, It was an organization that was just full of volunteers and, and just volunteer members up until We got staff at the end of 2020, Um, but in between that time, you know, they led rent strikes. They led forming tenant unions and just tenant organizing um, and just doing that on a voluntarily basis um, as they could. And so when capacity needed to be built, you know, it was very timely, right, because that's when COVID had hit. And then, of course, we saw um, the housing problem become even more of a problem and so when we got staff at the end of 2020, I was one of the first staff people to come on. Mm-hmm. Um, and from that point, you know, we were able to bring me on, bring in organizers to specifically do work around Tenant Bill of Rights, Right to Counsel, which we have now passed, um, yes. which, y'all, we, you know, everybody did amazing work on that. Um, the other big piece is around being able to support tenants in in organizing, but also if tenants want to form tenant unions, which was something that I wasn't fully familiar with mm-hmm. um, prior to getting into this work was around tenants forming unions um, and tenant organization in that way, which I think is something that's needed and super powerful. And then um, another piece of our work is around um, community land trusts, too. Mm -hmm. Um, which is around, you know, community coming there, being able to have land and do what they what community wants to do on that land. Um, Very short version. So, you know, around legislation bills, around um, bringing in tenants and bringing in community to be able to organize, um, to be able to make demands to landlords or property managers for things that they want to see. Um, And then, like I said, the piece around community land trust. And the other thing that has become more of a thing, too, um, is just around utility and um, around utilities and around the environmental piece. Right. Um, But with utilities, again, we've seen. Um, Our utility companies here, both Ameren and Inspire, constantly proposing um, increases to consumers. Mm -hmm. And of course that has become more and more of a burden um, to tenants and renters um, who are already dealing with not enough.
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) So
2: Mm -hmm. that's us having to support and respond to that too, is also something. And then um, on just a smaller scale, us just providing a hotline for people to just call that are having tenant issues or to have questions Something as minor as like, hey, can you help me kind of read through my lease? Um, Hey, my landlord hasn't come and fixed my leaky faucet to, oh, I'm about to get evicted. What Mm -hmm. should I do? Right. So there's Mm -hmm. very broad. Um, range of stuff and of course stuff that we may have capacity and support around a lot we don't mm-hmm. but we're able to connect them to you know other organizations or entities that we work with mm-hmm. um for instance y'all you know our city like oh i need a lawyer maybe how can you all support legally etc mm-hmm. etc right mm-hmm. um so those are the big bucket pieces of the stuff that we that we do um while we're steady trying to build more capacity to do it because like I'm not preaching. You know, I'm talking to y'all like we, there's always more capacity needed for this work. Mm-hmm. Um and we can't do this as one organization, right? Oftentimes we have to come collectively um and and housing like you said earlier, housing has been something and for me, I've said this on numerous occasions and I'll say it again on here like I've worked on a lot of issues, a lot. <laughs> and housing without a question has been the hardest issue hmm. that I've ever done work around. It's been the most heartbreaking work (laughs) the most stressful work um because housing is like housing is a basic right that like just like how i felt you know with doing economic justice work and that no one you know everybody should have what they need um not just to survive but to thrive right um but with housing it's like that's a basic human right that everyone should have and the fact that that's becoming more and more out of reach for a lot of demographics and not just demographics that people like to think, oh, it's people who, you know, are poor, you know, you know, extremely poor, or don't work or don't have a job like like mm-hmm. not that they should be. However, that is not the full narrative. Right. right. We're seeing more and more folks who do work. Yep. working folks who work, who may make a decent way. Like I can speak for myself. If my landlord was to be like, yo, you got to get out in two weeks, because that's what happens to a lot of folks, right? If my landlord was to say, you got to get out in two weeks, I wouldn't be able to move in two weeks. I wouldn't have the amount of money to move to another place mm-hmm. if I could even afford it, because I'm I'm blessed to have decent rent that I have now. So mm-hmm. that isn't something that's just based on this very small window demographic that the people like to think um, but this is something that is, um, that, this is something that is impacting um, community, a lot of different demographics within community, within a lot of different class brackets. Um, of course, we know people who are impacted the most look like us, right? Um, but this is something that is definitely broadening in, in that with, we as we're seeing new developments, building of new properties and like, hey, that's great, right? We want developments, right? But like they're not affordable. Who's who's moving into those developments? Right? <laughs> you know, we've seen what's happened. We've already seen the South Side be what the South Side is, but now, of course, we're starting to see that moving to the North Side. That stuff's already in motion. And there's already people who have already been displaced um, in various areas within the city of St. Louis due to them simply not being able to afford their rent anymore because their rent has increased double or triple. That is a big part of it. And then I'll say this and then I'll stop. And a- another piece of why is, you know, we're always fighting against narratives in this work. Um, and oftentimes we gotta fight to get our people not to believe these narratives there's themselves. Mm-hmm. And a lot of our folks truly believe that they don't deserve housing or at least equitable housing they believe oh because i I work this job or this how much money i make or you know whatever whatever stigmas they put on themselves and i'm not saying them put on themselves but that they believe because what if society and narratives have put for them to believe that but like honestly believing that they don't deserve a home that doesn't have pests right that doesn't have air or heat or has holes in the wall like
0: yeah
2: that is that that is very that's so that's the heartbreaking piece is that our folks believe that they don't deserve a basic human right that is like rooted in dignity yeah. <laughs> um and having to undo that in this work at the same time um has been is part another part of the reason why this work has been so very difficult um
1: yeah. to
2: navigate sometimes
1: yeah i think i think that last point is so important because when you when you do this work and you know our Arch city in action have this we the tennis campaign and there's so much pride around when we win and we collaborate but we spent so many months on this is navigating the shame that you know in the internalized you know sort of the, this these deep feelings of shame and fear of sharing your story out loud around what you're going through and there's so much isolation um, inside of the injustice that happens inside of our housing landscapes in St. Louis. Whether you're navigating an eviction, you know, I've told my eviction story so many times and people have walked up to me and was like, I could never do that. I felt so embarrassed about the fact that I got evicted but that's a reality that thousands of people face in the city every single year. And so, yeah, that those internalized messages around what I deserve, what what I can afford, what is quality Um, that is, that's half the battle is to get people to feel comfortable enough and safe enough, um, to know that their dignity is not contingent on their wages or where they live, right. That their full dignity is accessible, um, at all times and should be respected at all times. So that's just, that's such a real, that's such a real point.
0: Absolutely. I just want to layer one thing on that, um, on that point around the shame that people carry, because it, it, similarly for me, when i the first ever tenant organizing space I was in, Kayla's heard me talk about it many times, was in Boston when I was in law school, this organization called City Life Vita Urbana. Shout out to City Life folks um, who have done amazing tenant organizing for years. And it was for me, it was such a politicizing space because because of precisely what you're describing Christian, which is that the the way they sort of would set up the meetings, every single meeting, folks who were new to the space would introduce themselves first and say what brought them there. And you would see people walking in with so much shame and just feeling like it was their faults, like they had messed up, like they were embarrassed to be there. And they would describe how they were being evicted and what was going on in their uh, conditions of their apartment and how they'd been mistreated and, you know, how they struggled to pay the rent. And the, it was sort of a call and response, you know, and people would shout, that ain't right. And, you know, all of the things that we hear in kind of movement organizing spaces. And then you would watch people just like the load would fall off. You know, they would like they would see other people, other folks in the room would be like, same thing happened to me. It's not your fault they set you up they did this to you this is because a system that that created this outcome and you would literally watch people like go from carrying all of that weight to just feeling like maybe maybe it's not me you know maybe there are other people who are trying our best and the system is rigged and so i just think that that is so so that's such a beautiful part of tenant organizing when you see people sort of just by sharing their truths realizing like oh we've we've actually kind of been set up in a way and so i just appreciate you raising that
1: half we're like sitting in that and and, right. and i'm like that there is there is so much <laughs> devastation that people have to navigate because a home is where you raise your family is where you dream is where you rest is where you find refuge mm-hmm. and to lose that is just or to risk losing it or to not be safe and quality um for your children for yourself that's that's a hard reality that many people face in our city and so thank you for for bringing that in we're about halfway through this episode so we're going to take a quick break and um let you listen to our music minute and then on the other side of that we'll continue our conversation uh with our special guest christian blackman um you are listening to under the arch we'll be right back
0: Welcome back to Under the Arch. Hope you enjoyed that STL Music Minute. That was a song called "Shoveling Rocks" by Furthest, and you can find all of their music on all streaming platforms.
1: Yeah, and we are we are back with uh, this this very timely episode around housing with our guest um, Christian Blackman. Who, when we went to the break, we were talking about some of the isolation and the shame and the narratives that we internalize that renters are facing. Um, and so we just wanna ask, you know, from Homes for All perspective, from your perspective, what are some of the issues in our region that renters are navigating?
2: A big one is the increases in rent, 20, 30% increases, double, triple sometimes. Um, so that's been a big thing we've gotten calls about really. And it it, it was a big, big uptick in 20, starting in 2020. Um, into the beginning of 2021 Um, and you know around that time is also when there was a a lot of conversation around canceling rent Um, that was it was a big movement around that you know at least halting rent during that period which you know did happen and to to some extent Um, but so the increases in rent uh, where folks are just not because folks wages aren't increasing (laughs) along with the rent Um, another big thing um, is who Landlords and property owners are. Um, And a lot of times, them not being in the city or the state, (laughs) sometimes not in the country. Um, So, a lot of times, tenants and renters aren't even knowing who to reach out to to contact as it pertains to housing issues that they may have. Um, Sometimes they have no idea who they're paying. A lot of the times, um, sometimes they're just paying in some type of portal or whatever, and they're not knowing who they're paying their money to exactly um, and not being able to get a response um, for just general repairs a lot of the times. That, that's a big piece. The other big piece is around, and, and hopefully right to counsel pa- passing will help this, um, but it is around the time just legal um, support that tenants and renters have or don't have. Um, When facing any type of not just eviction, but there is any type of housing issues that they may be having going on, not being able to have um, the legal support um, around that. So a lot of times, most times, landlords, they can have their lawyer. Right. (laughs) But most times, if you're going to court, a lot of folks don't don't have the means to do that. That's another piece. And another big piece, a lot of time, is something literally as simple as like landlords are just not taking care of their properties. Like something just as simple as like general upkeep and maintenance of properties um, being a huge, huge issue. Most of the calls that we get when we we did our reports on the hotline, the number one thing was essentially repairs and maintenance issue. The other thing, I'll, I'll tie that to that is also when a lot of times tenants and renters start pushing back on that and beginning and start organizing around that, there's retaliation by landlords for that. So we saw that um, in a couple properties where the property manager are, um, begin to do retaliate retaliatory tactics against tenants who are speaking out or trying to organize and gather other their neighbors around these issues. So those are some of the big things we're th- thinking about from that question. Um, but definitely um, the rent increase, the rent increases is just, it's becoming a more and more of, of a problem that's that's happening very quickly too. Like it's not like it's gradually happening. Like it's, it's something that has been happening very quickly to where there's a lot of folks that don't want to. So that's another thing too, right? You may want to move somewhere better, but it's a, it's the question of if I'm able to find somewhere better that I can afford as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I appreciate that you lifted up 2020 as this defining year. Cause I do think the pandemic created a very particular um, reality for renters, whether that is the large amount of houses that got sold during the pandemic into new ownership that happened a lot in the city of St. Louis. And so then renters were either, you know, sort of, displaced or dealing with a new owner that had the ability to raise the rent. Um, evictions were happening so that, you know, mm-hmm. because people couldn't afford rent because they were, they had lost their job, especially a lot of service workers, they were laid off. Um, and then also the rent increases they couldn't afford. And then we also just had the, the reality of the pandemic that people were getting COVID unable to work and were trying to use the limited resources that they had to feed themselves and you know, take care of their families that were completely um, in a new reality because of because of the pandemic. And all of that really fueled this massive eviction crisis that we had in the city of St. Louis and, and, and St. Louis County. Um, and the, the, the other thing I'll add to that is while we're displacing people, there are not places for them to go. We're not building affordable, mm-hmm. safe, quality housing um, that the majority of renters can actually afford in our region. Every time we look up in the city of St. Louis, there's a new development that's being pushed out and the studio apartments are $1,000. And that's just not affordable to um, families and, and working class folks inside of our city and our region. And so that, that those realities really lead to um, a, a depressed state for renters, right? There's not a lot of opportunities. There are not a lot of Accept, uh, access points to find quality, affordable housing.
0: The pandemic also brought about this kind of, uh, uh, I guess this paradox really in affordability when we talk about f- housing affordability in St. Louis, because on the on the one hand, at the macro level, two things are true at once. Right. One is that st louis relative to much of the rest of the country particularly the coast but really most of the country is like always shows up on any list as one of the most affordable places to live and that that is true at a macro level again compared to, to most other places however also what was true during the pandemic is every you know bit of reporting about um population trends was like oh these people are working remotely And they're moving to Midwest cities and Midwest locations like St. Louis and buying up homes for cheap in the way that you're describing, Kayla, which is driving up the cost of housing in a place like St. Louis. So it's both true that relative to others, it may still be cheaper. But when you see shifts happening like that, that quickly in that span of time, it really drives an affordability crisis, even if it's still more affordable overall than a lot of other major cities. And so it's easy to kind of miss what is playing out on the ground if you're just looking at the top line numbers going, oh, it's it's pretty affordable exactly. here compared to most places. Exactly. Yeah. Thank
2: you for saying that because that, that I failed to mention that was around the affordability piece. And I, I don't know, for those who may not know, like St. Louis ranked very low as it pertains to affordable housing. Mm-hmm. Um, it got a very average rating and the rating as it pertains to like Black people of color, specifically Black folks, we got an F rating mm-hmm. um, in affordable housing. So while yeah. you're saying that, um, but also, you know, for people that may not be originally from St. Louis, you know, transplants are people. Yeah. Like you said that. Mm-hmm. But for people who have who are born and raised and live here. Um, and also, again, when we to make that comparison, but also to make the comparison around how much jobs make in different industries. Right. Much lower, um, yeah. m- much lower wages. A lot of underemployment here in comparison to other. If you look at the same job in another city, making probably double at the least, you know, making a very much higher um, salary wage.
1: I talk about when I was, um, this was 2013, 2012, when I was a pharmacy technician making, you know, at the time, $13 an hour. Rent was my biggest line item by a lot. And if I fell behind, the majority of my the majority of one paycheck over 50 percent of one paycheck which is you know almost mm-hmm. a quarter of my wages for the month went to rent and that's not including mm-hmm. utilities that's not including transportation that's not including food and so overwhelmingly you know black folks in this city are rent burdened they are spending mm-hmm. upwards of 30 40 50 percent of their income on afford on rent and now we're seeing this trend where you know, we're, we're seeing more, the migration patterns in our region are attached to affordability. People are leaving the city because it is less affordable. Um, and then they're going to the county and even those prices are raising uh, very quickly, right? A house that you could rent for 700 or $800 is now $1,400. And so we're watching just a, an affordability crisis. And when we talk about landlords, we are talking about people who are seeking to make profit, right? And so there is a, a exploitative Relationship that exists inside of that dynamic. You want housing. How much are you willing to pay for it, and how much am I able to get? And so we're watching some landlords test the waters of how much they can raise, and that's moving the entire affordability spectrum away from folks who could afford those homes um, some time ago.
0: So I, I want to come back to something we referenced a couple of times, um, Christian. You referenced it even when you were sort of laying out the myriad issues tenants face, which is this. Right to counsel. Um, and, you know, I want to come back to it because uh, for folks who weren't following closely, like this, this is a big deal. And folks worked really hard to make this happen and a and fault um, to make it happen. And a couple of weeks ago, the mayor signed um, legislation that passed uh, with one vote in opposition at the board of aldermen. I think it was just one at the board of aldermen. In um, Lord. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Happens to be a landlord who voted against it. Uh, and so just for for folks who don't know well, give us the, the broad outlines of what right to counsel really means for people and, and why you, um, the folks at Homes for All thought this was worth fighting for. Of course, alone, we too felt that and have been part of that fight, but I want to hear from your perspective um, why that was on the agenda so high on the agenda at Homes for All.
2: Yeah. Um, with something that I mentioned earlier around um, folks a lot of times, just not really feeling like they're not protected. You know, if if something happens to them in their home and they're, they're having to go to court, like Mm -hmm. not knowing what to do, who to go to. So I think first that level of, you know, and of course there's so many more pieces that we need to do, of course. Right. But like this piece with the, the right, like having that right, right, that that is something that you now can have without question um, is something that's very powerful. And it's it definitely something that gives power to us as community, to those um, ren- renters and tenants um, around, I think, because I think also with this comes uh, a, an educational piece around, you know, around what what is legal. Right. And, you know, um, what is law? Um, what type of protections do you have um, as a tenant and renter? And so for us, it was that in addition to, like I said, a lot of times when folks are, are going, like there have been times where, we, where we've where we gone to court um, with folks because they just needed someone who, who had some type of insight um, around housing laws and just how to navigate court in that way, because a lot of folks simply don't know. I went to court for that. I wouldn't no right <laughs> and i'm someone like not not the way that i probably would need to know and i'm someone that that's in this work so thinking of someone who isn't in this type of work or, is, or in, aren't in these spaces Um, So for us, it was that. So folks being able to to have that support to know that they are that they are able to to get a lawyer legal representation if they are having to go to court proceedings, if they are facing eviction. And especially because if the eviction is illegal, because a lot of times folks are getting um, eviction notices and, and it's illegal. And a lot of times folks don't know the rights that they have. So they just get a letter and they just think like and then they just OK, this is what I have to do. Not knowing that actually you don't. Right. You don't mm-hmm. have to get out tomorrow. Right. Mm-hmm. Or you don't have to get out in a week or actually this is a breach in your in your leasing agreement. All of those different mm-hmm. pieces, um, I think, right to counsel outside of just, yeah, you have a lawyer going to court. But I think hopefully this also allows an opportunity for this this deeper dive into how folks are getting knowledge around what actually your rights are. What is legal? What isn't legal? Um, How do I push back against something um, that doesn't fit, you know, just simply isn't right, but it may not feel right to them, but not knowing how do they navigate that feeling and who to go to?
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's so, that's so powerful. Um, I mean, earlier In the conversation at one point, you made the point about all of our organizations always operating at capacity and never having enough capacity. And one of the things that I love about, you know, making right to counsel public policy is it Mm -hmm. it reflects the idea that it's actually a public responsibility to make sure that people have this. This it shouldn't be on homes for all in action at Arch City. It should be on city. I was just gonna I, say and city. y'all
2: at Arch City, like the the lawyer legal piece is always what stretched the most, right? Yes. There's never enough legal support or lawyers when when working within community around housing injustice and it just There are people that fall through the cracks or people that are able to get, you know, the support that they may need. And that's not because we don't want to is that we literally don't have the capacity for that. So I think that is definitely something to raise up, too, is that this is this is not just on, you know, grassroots organizations or community organizations. This is also something that the city government should be um, making sure
1: um, is happening as well. So the city passed this and the mayor signed it into law right to council. But that's not really all that is planned for the the city as far as it relates to housing. So, can you talk about just um, legislative priorities that Homes for All has over the next year um, to our listeners?
2: Tenant Bill of Rights. (laughs) That's probably the biggest
1: thing. Boom. Bam. Stop. When
2: I. Yep. When I first you know, came on into, 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 the organization. That was one of the first things like, yeah, we want to pass a tentacle of rights. Like we're doing the work around that um, to make that happen. And and I'm super excited that now that we are in 2023 um, that is definitely something that looks like, you know, we're, we're inching closer and closer to that being a reality. You know, that's something that's being discussed around the, in the fall um, and, you know, Homes for All and other orgs, you know, Action and Kayla, we we sat, you know, in meetings around this specifically. Um, but Tenant Bill of Rights, definitely, because, you know, there's there's some protections that you have. But ultimately, on a much deeper level, it's, it's not and, and not enough in the sense that. Also, what's important about a tenant bill of rights is just that it's it's more rights for tenants, but it's also um, what are the what consequences will come to slumlords (laughs) and and owners who are not abiding by this actual law that's put into place for these protections and for these rights, which I think is the big, big piece. Um, And so tenant bill of rights and then something that has recently been, you know, brought up as well um around a rental registry which is something that is also looking like something that will be going forth um in the fall as well. That is a piece that I think there is definitely some importance around that with like like owners having to register, you know, their properties um because I, again getting back to some of the issues from earlier um around a lot of times, people not knowing who owns what, <clears throat> and like how to navigate that kind of this, you know, um, and then when there's change in ownership or changing, like all of those different pieces of, of transitioning and shifting and changing of like ownership to other ownership to when somebody else even moves into a space. I think that is that is a, a very very important element, um, and also as it gets not totally tied to rental registry, but kind of, and also thinking about how buildings are being cared for if they're up to code and if like those type of pieces, because again, that's another issue is that a lot of times um, tenants and renters, and uh, this is something else that got worse during the pandemic is that folks are moving into properties that are literally not up to code um, and folks should not be living in. <laughs> and a lot of times people aren't checking because they're they're just trying to move, right? Um, so the rental registry, but definitely tenant bill of rights is the, the biggest thing. That's something that we definitely um, have been yelling about, preaching about, um, doing work around um, and have definitely been, you know, talking with other orgs and other partners around. How we can make this real um, and make this a real thing, and I and I and recognizing and knowing that um, there's going to be. I'm sure some opposition (laughs) um, from some members of the board around this, but I think that we have the synergy energy around it. I do think we also have some good allies on the board and we definitely have enough um, organizations and community power and buy-in to where this can definitely be something that is, is passed and hopefully passed with most of the things that we're asking for recognizing that a lot of times you know, we don't get everything, but that we don't have to compromise on some really big and important elements around it, um, whatever that looks like um, once the language and everything come, comes in. So, but yeah, Tenant Bill of Rights, that's the biggest thing.
1: Yeah, it's 2023. It's the it's the year of the tenant and um, Tenant Bill of Rights is a, is a key piece of legislation that we've seen actually pass in places like Kansas City, not too far down the road. Um, and so excited to see that legislation get introduced and passed here. So for our folks who are like, yes, we need a tenant bill of rights. Yes, we need these pieces of legislation. How can they get involved with Homes for All?
2: Yeah, as always, I know, you know, we always need folks to help with um, canvassing, phone banking, all all of the community outreach pieces. Um, but yeah, they can just reach out to our to our organization Um they can reach out to, as far as email, they can reach out to info at homesforallstl.org. There we go, info at homesforallstl.org, or they can follow us um, on our socials, um, on Facebook, we're Homes for All St. Louis. On Instagram, we are H4ASTL, um, and that's the same thing on Twitter as well, um, if folks Follow us there. See what we're doing. DM us. But if they just want to email email us directly, um, that's the email that they can hit us up about around ways that they can connect to our work and what we're doing. And like I said, we we always need um, folks to connect with what we're doing because <laughs> as we've said on several times at this point, we always need more support, more capacity, um, more folks from the community being a part of this, and not and also always also looking for you know tenants and renters. Who, you know want to start fighting back against this stuff right and want to be able how can they how can how can they do that and another part of our work is also equipping tenants and building tenant leaders um to be able to go out and organize at their respective properties that's another piece of our work and that's something that's really important to us too
0: mm-hmm. so listen reach out get connected put your boots on the okay. ground and and you know, Christian didn't say that but I'm gonna say it even for Christian. Send cut a check too. Like send you've heard us talking about capacity, support yes. home for all, Come send on. some donations in. Go on the website, you know, all, all 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 of this work needs resources. Normally we would end with like the how do people plug in question. Um but actually I want to I want to end in a different way by just giving you a moment to to set the vision and dream a little bit, you know, because we use these phrases like housing as a human right and homes for all. So can we land in you just telling us, like, what is, what will that look like when we win, when we win housing as a human right, when we win homes for all, what does that look like to you? In doing
2: this work, you know, we have to deal with the world the way it is, right, and it's reality. But what helps keep us and sustain us is the vision, right, mm-hmm. of what we want the world to be. So thank you, because, you know we get in this and it be like child we ain't gonna never get free right <laughs> but so um first off that everyone is housed right so that, that everyone has has a home um and has you know equitable cuz I feel like that's important too right um um and affordable that we can get back to Community having actual communities, right? Even the things um, Kayla had mentioned this around the properties that are being built, right? That are not um, for families, right? Or that's something to be noted, right? So that we can have community that, are, that are for, afford you know single single family homes or just couples, but also for families, people with children, um, that folks have people are housed, that people have equitable housing. Um, It does not matter what you do, what you don't do, how much education you have, how much money you make, whatever class you're in, but that you have um, housing and recognizing that we're not going to fix the unhoused problem overnight, recognizing that. But even in thinking about the vision is that but there is still housing for unhoused folks. Right. Mm -hmm. So that there are and it's not difficult to navigate and get into Mm -hmm. because, yes, we say we have that but we we're continuing to see some of the difficulties um and the strain on folks that are trying to get into whether it's temporary housing um or if it's a, if it's a longer term housing that being a, a something better around um single folks and also families cuz we're seeing a lot of times families get separated um when trying to find temporary housing or shelter um, and then better ways and folks being able to transition out of temporary housing into permanent housing. So all of these these different pieces, I would love to see actually be made a reality and be made real. And what resources are being provided in the sense of um, if folks are need for whatever reason that someone may have become unhoused. Um, what are the true resources that is needed um, so that that does not happen again for someone? Right. We said this and hopefully, you know, thinking about a tenant bill of rights, but if anybody has ever been evicted or for whatever the reason, that isn't something that hinders them from finding housing again. And that there isn't this dark cloud over people for um, having different life experiences that caused them to be unhoused or caused them to be evicted. Um, But that people deserve to have housing, period. There isn't an asterisk on it. Um, and, And that we we view that holistically as community in that way. People are getting displaced from their neighborhoods due to new developments, right? So that people, if this is your neighborhood, you should be able to be in your neighborhood, and um, you should not have to move or, or be thinking about moving because you can't afford to be in to be there any longer. Like those type of pieces, and again, recognizing that that's a huge mach- machine and system that we're up against. But while we're imagining. You know, that is definitely something that I want to not see, you know, and that isn't unique to St. Louis as we're seeing that all over the country with Mm -hmm. communities and neighborhoods that are that are changing quickly due to the fact that it's not affordable um, for folks that have that have been there for generations. Um, so, yeah, equitable housing, everyone's house. If folks are unhoused, they are able to attain um, temporary or transition housing without so many hangups and issues for them to be able to get into it for families to not be separated due to displacement. I said with with doing the economic justice work that, like, I don't think people should just work to survive. We should be able to thrive in this life. We should be able to have homes that we feel good about. Like Kayla mentioned it earlier, when I come home, it's home, right? Mm -hmm. It's a place that I want to feel. So in the simplest, to add one more piece, we want to just come home. Just like I say, I just want to we just want to live. Right. And just have some joy. Like I want to just come home and be comfortable in my home and feel safe in my home and feel love in my space and not be worrying about an intrusive landlord who may come into my spot when I don't know it, right? Or being, you know, intimidated um, because I just say, hey, can you fix a thing, right? <laughs> uh, that I'm, I'm I'm, not spending all or most of my income on just rent to where my family and my children feel safe in, at, at home, right? That there, there is actually community that is being that that is being built and is being able to be sustainable, and for all of us as a collective to believe as well, just like we believe in our whole hearts that housing is a human right. You can't say that you believe that and then are okay with what is currently
0: happening with housing. Well, thank you for that. That that's a vision worth fighting for. So. Yeah. um so we you know, appreciate some you.
2: some some big and some I feel much much smaller Yeah, we can do this we can, we can do this Which we, can, we can
1: build a we can build a world where people are excited and thriving in their homes with their families we can build that that's mm-hmm. a, that's absolutely really as
0: possible absolutely yeah it, is. it Christian, is possible thank you so much for being here today with mm-hmm. us. Oh, this has been, been lovely been. wonderful. Um, I'm like, and, oh, and,
2: I get to be on the pod. Oh, come on! I got <laughs> like the invite. Right? Oh, oh, oh. oh, no, it's an honor. I appreciate y'all for real.
0: Yeah, me man. to be on. Yeah, it's our pleasure. We, look, we, you know, we'll see you at the next meeting. Where's at the, the calendars? We, will we, we'll see like, you soon. Look, any next <laughs> <laughs> <Just time>. <laughs> See you somewhere. See <laughs> you. Yeah. But yes.
1: Thank you so much for joining us and having this conversation. You know, I really think our listeners appreciate you know, hearing from the practitioners that are in this, in these fights in real time. And right now it it just, it really is a lot of work to do um, to make this a renter friendly region, right? And the to have mm-hmm. rent centered policy shouldn't be considered radical, right? That should be the norm. And we live, in a cent- we live in a city, we live in a region where people rent, and we should take care of them, and we should make sure that they are whole and well. And so thank you for the work that you do every day, and shout out to the teams at- team at Homes for All for the work they yeah. do every day. Yes, yes. Absolutely. Yes,
2: yes, absolutely. Shout out to them for sure, because I know this is a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. So, oh, Yeah. yeah.
0: All right, um, we are going. We're going to take another quick break. Let Christian go, and we'll be back to wrap things up. You are listening to Under the Arch. Welcome back. All right. Welcome back. Hope you enjoyed that. We really enjoyed that.
1: I really enjoyed that. I wanted you to answer the question. What is, what does, you know, housing as a human right mean to you?
0: Yeah. Housing as a human right means to me, removing our ability to be in a stable, affordable, sheltered home space from the, the, degradation and exploitation that is the marketplace. That is capitalism. Yeah. Like that not not all things should be subject to commodification. Yeah. And someone's ability to, as Christian described, come home and feel a loving, warm, comfortable, known space is one of those things to me. Yeah. That's that's what it means to me. Yeah. What about for you, Kayla?
1: It means it's guaranteed. It is mm-hmm. your birthright to have shelter just like it's your birthright to have water and access to food. Um, And it shouldn't, it's not conditioned um, and and there are no barriers to accessing it. Um, And it is provided where, to to the extent that our families are full of their dignity, they have access to opportunity and are thriving. That's what it means Mm -hmm. to me. I think it, it does remove The way in which uh, it's transactional and exploitative and um, commodified and and all of those things, I think that has to be moved out of the conversation. And in this country, a home is so tied to wealth. And and what it really is, um, is, we should be thinking about wellness and not wealth, right? That we Mm -hmm. want our communities to be well. And in order for communities to be well, people have to have places to stay and be able to stay there and raise their families for generations without um, concern for displacement
0: absolutely and you know what i believe we can get there and it's such an exciting moment in st louis for this work that you know there's building there's real building yeah. happening i um, love building the ten- of communities yes it's amazing oh.
1: if you have not been to one of our we the tenant meetings you should come because yes. let's tell you, it is a multiracial, intergenerational base of people who are so impassioned. And it just, it is the like heartbeat of the work right now. It's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. entire journey around right to counsel was just, it was beautiful. You know, it, mm-hmm. it was it, to, to, to see renters who have faced so much. With over the last year, the flood and just the changing conditions and the rising rent to organize and get this victory, it was it was really powerful.
0: Mm-hmm. And listen, if you're if you're listening and you own a house, that's okay. I, listen, I bought my first house last year. I'm learning how to be a homeowner. It's a different it's a different situation. We can talk about that on another podcast. But it's okay. I I love being in the We the Tenants space. And even if you are a homeowner, you can come to the We the Tenants meeting and just know that it's not about your particular economic predicament and situation when it comes to housing. You are not centered in that space, but you can be down in the fight for renters' rights.
1: You know rent? Yes. So I rent, you know me, so come on down. Yes. (laughs) Yes. 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 But let's run the credits because we know you've been with us now for some time.
0: Yeah. Thank you, as always, to our team, our team, our teams that hold us down. Um, special shout out this week to Angelo, who is filling in for the one and only Johnny Gabbard yes. in the real time producing of this podcast and doing an excellent job and getting us all together. Um, shout out to... In absentia, Johnny Gabbard, <laughs> to Zoe Griffin, uh, to Valerie who helps us with so much logistics, to Zeke Orley, uh, we appreciate appreciate the team very much.
1: And shout out to you, Blake, the wonderful co-host that you are. <laughs> and season. to you. And we want to thank our Music Minute artist um, Furthest for the for the amazing. Um, song Shoveling Rocks Where you can find on all streaming platforms And thank you to our listeners We are nearing This is our second to last episode We have one <sighs> episode in season 4 to bring you And we are excited about it Because it's going yes. to be a good one
0: It's going to be a good one We're not going to spoil it now But mm-hmm. we got a special guest coming And we're going to be talking about some hot topics So Yes we are don't miss it. Don't miss it. Don't
1: miss it. Thank you again for listening. This is Under the Arch. See you next time.
0: Take okay. care. We have come so far, so far to go.